Welcome to the Region Free Gamers Podcast, Episode 4. Today's episode, it's party time! Here we go! Welcome back to the Region Free Gamers Podcast, the podcast that is fluent in gaming. And for this episode, uh, appropriately enough, the party episode, we have three-fourths of the crew all in one place. Uh, so we have to the right of me, Paul. My name's Paul. I like video games. <laughs> and Ozzy. Please refer to me as Lucky Ozzy from now on. <laughs> <laughs> and then with us in our hearts, if not... In our souls, all the way in Helsinki, is Masa. Hey, yo. Um, and so I think for this episode, what we wanted to do is just have like a little rundown of maybe like what we think are our party games and uh, some of our favorites throughout the years. Um, so I did want to establish, obviously, uh, as we always do, a few ground rules. But obviously, before that, uh, let's talk about a little bit about what we've been playing currently. Uh, so, Paul, do you want to start us off? Uh, sure, yeah. I've got a couple I can get into. Uh, in preparation for the Nino Kuni 2, for the sequel to the original, I tore through the original in about three months. A tidy <laughs> three months. And, uh, tidy, eh? Yeah, yeah, tidy. Dude. Best game I've ever played that has a character speaking in a Welsh accent. It's awesome. It's I know, awesome. it's great. There's a part in that game where two of the Welsh fairies, they have like a comedy routine. Oh yeah? And it is actually genuinely funny. It's not, it's not like they uh, tell a bunch of cr- shitty jokes and you laugh because they sound funny, <laughs> which is borderline racist. <laughs> it, I mean, it's, could you be racist against Welsh people? Well, it's... I guess so. Let me put it... I don't want to get <laughs> into this racial topic. You yeah. could be stereotypical, let's just that, say that's, that. No, that... The Region Free Gamers podcast would not go into this topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, dude, it was a pretty good game. If it had a better battle system, it would be like an all-time great RPG. But as it stood, there the battle system was kind of frustrating at times. Because you mainly control one character, and then you have your other two NPCs, and they just kind of do that thing in RPGs that drives us all crazy, where they just do whatever the fuck they want. And so, like, I'll equip them with one particular Pokemon that I want them to use, and I'll say, okay, Swain, use this Pokemon, and then Swain says, suck a dick, Paul, I'm going to use this really crappy one, and then I lose my mind. (laughs) Um, but there's enough in the game that, you know, kind of overcomes that frustration. Well, I, uh, I, I I played the game maybe for 20 hours, which for an RPG, it's kind of not even one third into the way. Yeah. Um, and I found it so charming. It was extremely beautiful in its Studio Ghibli uh, aesthetic. And, uh, the story of Oliver losing his mother and wanting to, um, bring back his mother somehow was very uh, heartwarming and, yeah. and and sad in some way. I just there's something that didn't click for me. One, the big thing that didn't click for me was the battle theme, which is probably one of the worst battle themes 
um, on any RPG that I can remember. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and it sucks because the whole soundtrack was done by Joe Hisashi, who is the Studio Ghibli composer. So he and I think the soundtrack as a whole is great. I mean, I the overworld theme is fantastic. I freaking love the overworld theme. Um, but the other part of it is that the battle system is so just complex and unnecessarily so at times that every time I would stop playing the game for maybe a week, um, I would just forget what the hell it is that I needed to do and how it worked. So at one point I just gave up. Um, but I am looking forward to Nino Kuni too. I, it's already released by the time that we're recording this and, uh, I hear good things about it and I mean, it still looks beautiful. So yeah. I, I will definitely play it at some point. Yeah, I gotta say, um, I actually also played Nino Kuni for around 20 hours, and based on that, oh. I would have to say that, like, Paul mentioned the whole Wales accent thing, and when it comes to, <laughs> comes to my <laughs> ranking of games with characters with the Wales accent, it would only be my number two, because there's, <laughs> yeah, there's, like, in Xenoblade Chronicles 2, there's one, uh, and it's not just a, you know, like, some NPC, but, like, one of the main characters has a Wales accent, and she is freaking awesome, so, yeah, that's my number two, and Nino Kuni would be my number two in this ranking <laughs> i have never played xenoblade chronicles 2 and i can confidently say that you are 100 percent wrong <laughs> <laughs> mr drippy is one of the greatest characters ever i i will agree with paul <laughs> <laughs> but at least one thing has come out of this wales is representing man <laughs> so, oh yeah man <laughs> to all of our wales listeners our welsh listeners uh you know, we're, we're keeping an eye out for you. Yeah, represent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what have you been playing, Ari? Uh, so I finished Trails of Cold Steel 1. Hell yeah. After, after <laughs> hours. Um, And then get ready for this. I started playing Trails of Cold Steel 2. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, man. Like, that's what because... I said. Like, that's like exactly what I said. I was like... Yeah, I mean, it's a slow burn, but, like, once you get to yeah. the end, you'll be like, oh, goddamn, I, I just gotta start playing the second game, like, as soon as possible. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, is, like, I started playing the second game, and I'm like, I'm gonna get through this one, and then I'll be done, and then I realize there's a third game that hasn't been localized yet, and there's a fourth game that's gonna be released this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> the fourth game will be released locally or just in Japan? Yeah, I'm actually quite sure. Like, it hasn't been announced yet, but um, both 1 and 2 sold fairly well in the West, despite being, like, of course, there's the Vita version, but the other, like, uh, the PS3 version, like, PS3 was already, like, um, dying or basically like dead, because those were, like, very, very late PS3 releases, but despite that, they did fairly well in the West, so I'm quite sure that both, like, 3 and 4 will come out um, in the West eventually. It just hasn't been announced yet, but yeah, um, I'm fair sure that some, like let's say NIS America or Axis or Exit, they might already be like working on the localization. Yeah, that's what I hope, because at this point I, I can't not know, you know what I mean? Like, I have to. Yeah. They're ready to invest. I have in to so play it. Yeah, I actually like, I mean, you guys know that I really love this uh, whole franchise and I ended up importing um, Trails of Gold Steel 3 from Japan. Um, I haven't really played it that much. Uh, but I, I Does it have tell. an English option? What? 
Does it have an English option? Like no, 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 it doesn't. No, uh, there's like nothing in English except some of the <laughs> you know menus. But um, I can only tell that it's um, when it comes to the graphics and the battle system, it's definitely a big improvement over the first two games. Awesome. Uh, so actually, Masa, since you're already talking, what have you been playing? Um, yeah, there's a few games. Um, I'm not sure if all of these are like worth talking about, but I did actually finish uh, a few games since we last um, did this segment. Uh, first of all, there's Kirby Star Allies on the Switch. Um, not a bad game, but definitely not worth like 60 to 70 euros. Um, yeah. It's far too short and way too easy. Um, like, I had a lot of fun playing that game. I played some of it with, with my girlfriend, and we had a blast. But then, when it ended, like, uh, it took me around five hours to finish the game. And even my completion percentage was, like, around 70%. Like, I got, like, most of the, you know, like, the secret stuff yeah. uh, during my first playthrough. But when it ended, I was a bit like, oh, that's it? Okay, <laughs> this was really well, cool, always. but yeah, uh, but the, I have to say the final boss fight is one of the best boss fights in the um, in like any Kirby game. But I, yeah, I would I'm, say I'm always constantly surprised at the amount of Kirby games that are being released. I think there have been like four over the last two years, maybe. And yeah, I remember but, uh, there was a period that that there were no Kirby games whatsoever. Yeah, but like I, I'm a surprise since a lot of these. The 3DS got a couple of um, kind of like spin-off games, and then a lot of these main titles, they aren't like that long. So I can't really imagine that it takes you know that that much time to actually develop these games. Well, Kirby's in that weird position where it's a game that a lot of people love, but it's one of the more younger audience-oriented Nintendo games, um, and it's one of the more easy games in the Nintendo. Um, staples. Um, so I, I, I'm not surprised that there's not a lot for you to do in Star Allies, um, because I would imagine that this is more geared at a younger audience who would probably take a longer time in order to beat this. Yeah, um, agreed. They're not, they're not difficult games at all whatsoever. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, a five-hour game that you enjoy, and it's not going to make you throw your controller in frustration, is perfectly reasonable. But you know, when you're looking at the actual monetary value, how much you've spent, then that's where you kind of run into issues. Certainly. But I remember I playing Kirby's Epic Yarn, and I played that game at a point that I was kind of jaded. And playing a game that was not difficult, that was charming, that was that had great music, it was just perfect at the moment. And so I fell in love with that. So I guess what I'm saying is that Kirby sometimes is the perfect antidote to a jaded, cynical 28 year old after you've played dark souls <laughs> after for 10 i hours. played dark souls for like two weeks which i was gonna talk about that but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i gotta say muscle. um like the like the game that i finished right before kirby was yakuza kivami so like the contrast between those two <laughs> games like holy shit but i mean <laughs> but yeah i gotta say star, star allies was the perfect game to play after kivami because kivami holy shit that game has some of the most like, the darkest, most fucked up plot twist that I've seen, like, in any game. Like, there were moments when I was, like, just staring at the screen after, like, something really traumatic happened. I was like, man, 
I'm not sure if I can continue playing this anymore. Because <laughs> it, it, it was like some, yeah, there's some really, really dark and fucked up shit in that game. Um, but yeah, overall, I would say Kiwami is definitely, it's not as good as Yakuza Zero, which we talked about in an earlier episode. Um, but I mean, it's understandable because, of course, Kiwami is a remake of, a, of the first Yakuza game from 2006. And the biggest thing about Kiwami is that, like, why it's not on this quite on the same level as, uh, for example, Zero is that, like, the the crazy side quests that we talked about earlier. Um, yeah, there's a lot of side quests here, but a lot of them are just like, okay, so you know, go from point A to point B and beat up a bunch of bad guys, and that's it. Yeah. Like, there's nothing really crazy and wacky happening. There's a few decent side quests, but yeah, um, that was definitely a letdown after playing Zero. But other yeah, than it's that, a, it's a 12-year-old game at this point. That's, yeah, exactly. That's the problem. And uh, I'm really looking forward to Kiwami 2, um, which releases this year. It's just recently been announced for the West. So that should be fun. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, coming out um, in August. And what's uh, special about Kiwami 2 is that, unlike Kiwami 1, like Kiwami 1 is still using the same engine, like the older Yakuza engine, um, that you have seen in like games like, I think, Yakuza 5, maybe 4, and then 0. Uh, but Kiwami 2 actually has the new Dragon engine that we, you know, we will first see in Yakuza 6, which is launching in 10 days. Uh, well, April 17th. So... And I've heard that since Kiwami 2 is the, the latest game in the series, like, it actually runs a lot better and has, like, much more improved gameplay, even compared to, like, Yakuza 6. Well, let me, uh, Masa, let me talk a little bit about what I have been playing. Um, I was going to talk about Bloodborne, because that's what's just drove, driven a stake through <laughs> my soul um, over the last, I would say, month. Um, so I don't know if I really want to spend all the time talking about my defeats and <laughs> occasional glories. I, I don't um, mind listening about your well, defeats. They're, they're sad, but I saw but, quite a few last night. Yeah, but <laughs> there were quite a few which we will talk about. Um, very. Well, you are quite a sadist. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I am a masochist. I am a glutton for punishment. Uh, but no. So I instead will talk about what we played last night, which doesn't quite fall into the party game mold, but it made me realize how awesome it really was and Paul and I had a little mini tournament with Soul Calibur 2 and I had played Soul Calibur 2 on the Xbox way back when it released and I, I, I liked it but I thought that I preferred the earlier versions, the, the, the predecessors. But last night when I picked it up after not having played it for over a decade certainly, it just really dawned on me how deep and intuitive this game really is. And Paul and I just kind of started really just getting more accustomed to the mechanics and getting more comfortable with it. And as Paul mentioned, there is no half-quarter circle moves or anything. Everything just makes sense. If you want to swing low, you you know press down on the like, and it, does, it goes for a low uh, attack. And it, it's very easy to get into and as the adage goes difficult to master and so before you knew it paul and i had 33 or 34 matches yeah and uh it was funny because at first i started just dominating with rafael because he has a very strong 
high-low attack with a very long reach, which is kind of unavoidable or un- indefensible. And uh, Paul, little by little with Nightmare, started getting the hang of it. And he just started adapting. And eventually we got to a level where we were both kind of equally matched. And so that made it for a very thrilling uh, game session. And at the end, I was sweating. So <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was extremely uh, fun, extremely stress-inducing at some points because Paul had a very good mechanism for getting me out of the ring. Um, and so he would back <laughs> me into a corner and I would be like, no, 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 no. And I would die. And then I would feast on his panic and <laughs> just knock him right out. It's fantastic. So all I'm trying to say is that Soul Calibur, I think uh, after last night, I've kind of reassessed my opinion of it. And I actually really, really look forward to playing it again, hopefully with Paul since and, and Arnie since they're here for the weekend. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I've been playing lately. But yeah, hold up, hold up. So now that you guys, you know, had that mini tournament, you forgot to mention like who is now the official region free game uh, Soul Caliper Soul Caliper Two champion. Oh, undetermined. Oh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have to go at it again tonight, and yeah. then we can determine that I'm the champion. Yeah, I would <laughs> I would say it ended in a draw. It, it, I, yeah, I think it ended on a draw because at first, as I said, I won nine matches and around match five paul said if i'm not if i don't win by 10 matches i'm just dropping this and so match nine he actually beat me and that's when things started getting a little bit more even balanced and uh it's funny because i started trying different characters but eventually i just settled back on Raphael. And I really focus on getting really good at it. And Paul knew almost all the attacks that I was kind of relying upon. So I was then forced to adapt. Um, so it made for a very interesting dynamic that I, I honestly, I think that it made it very fun. So I haven't played Arnie yet. So I'm pretty sure that he's a ringer in all this. I know, um, right? He's just sitting there watching <laughs> us, learning, absorbing. You guys are fools. <laughs> So I undetermined it, and I think honestly we can't really judge it based on what we had yesterday because we were just kind of getting our bearings, and I was being so cheap. I I, I literally was being like the Eddie Gordo of the Soul Calibur yesterday. Yeah. I was just using the same attacks over and over until Paul figured them out, and then that made it an actual game, um, and it made an actual tournament. So yeah. the jury's out for now. But yeah. According to Paul, he's gonna be the. Uh, there's I, no, but there's he's no just doubt. he's there's just. No doubt. Uh, you know, I, unaware I, right now. I only play a competitive pit fighter on the SNES, <laughs> so that's why I haven't played me yet. Dude, I only play digitized sprite graphic games. So I only play the cream of the crop. We have to Dude. play Street Fighter, the movie, the game, the yeah, movie, exactly. the game. Dude, Way sexy. of the Warrior, Way of the Warrior. That's that's what we need to play. Naughty Dog's gem. Oh, the 3DO system seller. Yeah, I mean, yeah. oh my god, I like. <laughs> I just got this like Nintendo needs to release a game called Way of the Wario. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. So, what would that entail? <laughs> so Way of the Samurai remake, but starring Wario. I think it would be like it would have to have realistic digitized graphics, so they have like an actual guy playing Wario. <laughs> just have Charles yeah, just get like yeah, yeah Ron Jeremy or something. Dude, yeah. <laughs> how about this? Charles Barkley as Wario. <laughs> no, no, Masa had it right, dude. Ron Jeremy. <laughs> Ron Jeremy. Yeah. Wow, that is right. That is right. You, you imagine, though, that they made like a realistic Wario Thief game where you like have to stake out um, your, in case you're. Dude, you know, pre order. Yeah, pre-order. That would take, be so take awesome. my money. <laughs> no, 
I, I don't know. I, I, I really am saying that I want a warrior game, a new warrior game of any sort. Um, You're getting it. Where you, well, we are yeah, Way of the Mario. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so awesome with digitized graphics you know as played by Ron Jeremy so that would, that would be it um, well they did it with like you know Conker's Bad Fur Day they turned Conker from you know the goody goody uh, Conker's Pocket Tales into the foul mouthed squirrel mm-hmm. why wouldn't they be able to do something similar with Wario like honestly hire Ron Jeremy Get it done. Just do it. Just do it. I <laughs> of course, know. Nintendo will never Nintendo will not do it because they're not that cool. <laughs> no. Yeah. All cool. right. Anything else anybody's been playing recently that we should touch on? Well, maybe Final Fantasy Fifteen, because that's the game that I'm actually playing currently. Um, yeah, yeah, we have at least, like, Paul and Arnie, like, you guys have finished it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah like, I'm currently halfway done the game, and... Yeah, I have very, very mixed feelings about it. Um, like, how did you guys feel about the game? You will continue to have mixed feelings about it. <laughs> yeah, until I'm, the end. I'm quite sure about that. Like, the highs are really high, but then, like, the lows are, yeah, almost, like, unbearable. I know, dude. Like, for me, it's almost the opposite of Nino Kuni, in that Nino Kuni has this charming story and you know, cartoony presentations and so on. Um, but the combat's horrendous. And in Final Fantasy XV, you have this storyline where, you know, the characters are pretty good, Ignis notwithstanding. But you really do story, hate Ignis, don't you? I can't stand that I guy. I like Ignis. Dude, why is he wearing gloves? <laughs> They're like walking through a desert. He's driving. He's driving. Dude, I'll smack you if you drive with gloves. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, so, but the combat in Final Fantasy XV is a revelation. Like, it's so fantastic. It looks great. It feels great. And I have all day for that. So, you know, that'll last you until the end. You know, just the fun of the combat. And then the frustrating part will be kind of figuring out what's going on story-wise. Oh, yeah, did you, like, speaking of which, like, did you guys watch the movie? No. No. Yeah, you have to watch it. Like, um, I, <laughs> which is really, really like fucked up about the whole game. Like, uh, I made it to like chapter six, and I was like, yeah, like, why are we on this road trip? <laughs> like, like, why? <laughs> like, what is going on? It was kind of like in Trails of Cold Steel. Like, when I was wondering, like, yeah, what is the like the point of this whole game? But in Final Fantasy uh, fifteen, like, I watched the movie like um, while I was playing like um chapter six and then like that movie explains um what happens like right before the game begins does yeah. it i mean does it does it make the story like more interesting to you? yeah it does yeah absolutely okay. like it kind of gives you a motive to like keep going because like because gotcha. like uh, like if you don't watch the movie then you are like well we have to save someone we have to you know go there and yeah. save the world for whatever reason but the movie actually <coughs> gives you that reason okay i see have I- you ever tried cooking with gloves on <laughs> <laughs> who cooks with gloves on i think it's for the magic Christ's sake. So he doesn't burn his hands. Is he the one with a British accent? Yes. yes. Of course, because he would the... totally have a British accent. Because... Oh my god, that's another thing in that game. The accents. Where are they getting these accents from? <laughs> these are Earth accents, and they're not on Earth. 
Where where is the equivalent of Britain that Ignis is coming? Oh, I I would love for a game to just create some weird nonsensical accents. You See, know, I I feel like, like that's really difficult without coming off as like racist or like. Yeah, that's true. Something. Yeah, that may be true. And that's the second time we go into race here. Um, so let's steer away from that. But no, it kind of reminds me of I don't know if you guys ever see Monty Python's Flying Circles. Yeah. Uh, but mm-hmm. the Ministry of City Walks. Um, where it's like, just do the silliest accent that you can do, you know, just go with it. I mean, I, I kind of think back Final Fantasy XII, that Van had, like, an Icelandic accent. There should be more characters with, like, really out-there accents. Like, I don't know, maybe a Thai accent or, like, mm-hmm. just not the standard British people equal bad or sophisticated. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, is there a German accent anywhere in any games? Maybe? I sure hope oh, not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Operation Darkness, which is great, um, has like German Nazi vampires. Wow! Um, I mean, I you couldn't have done a better job selling me in five words or less. <laughs> um, but no. So to answer your question, Masa, for me at least, it was like Paul said. It's like Final Fantasy is the characters, the story the goofiness, like, the fun stuff it lets you do, and the combat. The side quests are terrible. Agreed. Um, a lot of the, like, the secondary characters, like, the people who aren't your main party are not relevant and, yeah. like, not interesting. Um, but the core group of, like, the four guys is, like, at least for me, was worth following to the end of this adventure. Ozzy, you won't believe this. Ignis is the smart character, and he wears glasses. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty surprising. Honestly. I know it's. I've never <laughs> seen anything like it. But yeah, I think like once I finish the game, we should probably like do a micro episode about it. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, there's a lot to talk about that game. No, there there definitely is, and I promise if we do that, I won't complain about Ignis the whole time. <laughs> so, so guys, maybe maybe since you guys are here in New York, um, I know that both you, Paul, and you, Arnie, have had a little bit of a haul in your game pickups over the last uh, week or so. Can you maybe talk a little bit more about those? I can't. I can't wait to tell Masa that I got Etrian Mystery Dungeon. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> Or should I, I say, Mark Condolences? Because uh, <laughs> that's going to be the only game you will be playing for the next, I don't know, five, four, six months. I can't wait to tell you all about it. <laughs> Constantly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I picked up uh, that, and uh, I picked up Sakura Wars for the PS2, which I've never seen out in the wild. And frankly, until like a couple months ago, I didn't even know it existed. I used to play that game back when I had patience for Japanese games uh, on the Saturn, and I hadn't seen a Sekiro Wars game for like almost 20 years or something. So I saw that one at the store. It was reasonably priced. And uh, yeah, now I have it. Yeah, I actually have the Wii version of that. And it's a very, very unique game. Um, okay, yes. so first of all, I know that this is going to sound like I'm describing Fire Emblem when I say that it's a... Um, strategy JRPG with like dating the same elements. Oh yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, but but it's it's made like a visual novel, and the way you boost the characters are through like all these conversations and stuff. So mm-hmm. like, 
I believe that you don't really even get XP from the actual fights, and um, the emphasis is definitely more on the visual novel parts. But it's a very, very fun and unique game. Yeah, I, I'm pretty hyped about it. I'll probably play it, I don't know, maybe later this year or something. Uh, it's not, it's not even very long. It's it like, I don't know, maybe 15 hours. Ooh. Okay, oh. well, maybe it'll move up in the rotation then. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And uh, also worth noting... Picked up uh, Raiden, or Raiden, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, Raiden Fighters for the Xbox 360. Uh, Arnie happened to find another copy of it, and he's like, here you go. And I said, thank you very much, sir. <laughs> oh yeah, speaking of which, like, Arnie, would you like to tell us the story about that game, like, oh <laughs> and the struggle God. of getting it? Oh my, Jesus Christ. It's like, and I feel like I'm the only person this ever happens to, but I'm sure I'm not, where... I I find a game at GameStop, always at GameStop, and it's like a game I've been looking for forever. It's cheap. I find the case and manual. I'm like, this is great. So I go up to the counter, and without fail, five out of six times, the person is like, we don't have this. It's like... <laughs> it's usually that game that you're really seeking. And so it's like... But it amazes me. Like, I'm holding a case and manual for a game. How do you have this... But you don't have the game. The game yeah, but it's usually the opposite. Like, they have the game, but me. not the case and the manual. <laughs> and <laughs> exactly. when our listeners can't Somewhere see. at like another GameStop, there's somebody <laughs> like with a game and no case and manual. <laughs> and what our listeners can't see is Arnie pantomiming the <laughs> stupid look on the GameStop, GameStop employee's face as they do not have this game. Oh, it's gold. It's amazing. Like, you finally managed to hit gold. I did. I had to get a copy transferred from a second GameStop that did not have the case in the manual. Um, and I was able to get a complete copy. Nice. But it was a nightmare. think with this we're ready to jump into the main the meat of the of the topic if you will so party games bust out your party poppers we're going to party (laughs) (laughs) so just to throw it out there and i do want to get your guys opinion on this but at least to me a party game and i throw i cast a pretty wide net when it comes to party games there's really only two criteria it has to be more than two players there are exceptions to this rule, but very few. And it also has to be local multiplayer only. No yeah. online. Uh, I made an exception to LAN um, when it comes to like PC games. But other than that, it has to be, you have to be in the same room with the person. Well, I think you could have different, uh, different definitions of it. And it depends on how broad and how narrow you go. You could be narrow and say, well, it's as you say that it's three plus party games and it could be like a Mario Party type where it's designed to be, quote unquote, a party game and it's designed to entertain a broad group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could also just say it could even be a two player game where you kind of uh, switch the controller once someone loses and 
That could also be considered a party game of some sort. But that would did you probably... just say two players? Yeah, you could. That's, that's incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> well, potentially, potentially. But you see something like Nidhogg, and Nidhogg is just two players, and you could have like a tournament like that. So, but I think for our purposes in particular, I don't think that that would be what would be encompassing this episode. It should ideally be more than, than yeah. two players. It should be three plus players and uh, have an emphasis, I think, on entertainment for um, an audience, for a large audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so it literally is a game that you can use as a host in order to entertain guests and the like, or to have a game night and stuff like that um, for people that may have different interests. So a party game may not necessarily be that complex. Everyone can get into it. Um, you may have varying levels of uh, game experience and game knowledge, um, but it would still be fun for everyone. Yeah. So, again, Mario Party would be the standard bearer, but you know we're not encompassing just Mario Party. There are so many others that could fall within the rubric of a party game. There are some outliers like Guardian Heroes, as Paul very well knows, <laughs> but those those I think you can kind of fit into it, but. Um, that's treasure. Treasure just does things differently. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but is that like an agreeable? Uh, it's a good starting point. Forward? We'll we'll have heated arguments. As yeah. We I mean, once we start bringing up the games, we're gonna like go to war with each other and yeah. bust yeah. out the big guns. Well, but. here's so. I think the most important thing is that like being able to play with a large group of people is like something that I think people have always wanted to do. I don't think it's like something that emerged when, like, systems came started coming with four controller ports. I don't think Nintendo was, like, the the sort of vanguard for, like, hey, get all your friends together and, like, play. I think people have been trying to do that since, like, the early arcade days, you know? Yeah. You'd get your friends together, you'd huddle over a machine, and you'd sort of take turns playing. Um, but eventually, arcade cabinets started including like more than two player options uh gauntlet is probably the earliest i can think of um there's, no, definitely the earliest i can think of. yeah there's probably like earlier machines but that's the one that i think sort of solidified the idea of like four player cooperative arcade play um i saw quartet is like another early example of that it's like a side-scrolling shooter um but i think at least that I remember most fondly, the, like, 90s were the, like, dawn of a lot of these games, like, TMNT, uh, which I, actually, that was, like, late 80s, right? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Simpsons sure. Arcade, the X-Men Arcade, like, all yeah. these um, arcade machines really, like, solidified the idea in your mind of, you can go to the arcade with three or four of your friends, and you can all play together. And it's, like, such a... I think it's, at least for me, is what identifies... Like, that's how I identify the arcade experience as, like, something communal. Not, you know, one person in front of a machine, necessarily. But I also feel, and and again, this is where we're going to start digressing, that a party game inherently, it's meant to be played at a house or in a domestic setting and not out in the public. Yeah. Because in the public, it's just a social... um, I guess it's arbitrary, but it just makes more sense that a party will take place within the confines of a house or even like an event or something like that. Um, whereas an arcade is more just what I would call just more standard multiplayer. 
Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I guess it sounds arbitrary, but it makes sense in my head. I think I have to come up with a more conceptualized yeah. <laughs> explanation for this. I think I think my justification is like I see this more as the seed of like scratching that itch for people that made them eventually be like, I want this in my house. Well, look, like, dude, I, I mean, it's the reason for the, the existence of anticipation on the NES. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's kind of the, 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 the hallmark of party games and Hell Nintendo yeah. trying to capture that seedcast of people wanting to play party games at home. Well, and so, also, I mean, you had birthday parties at Chuck E. Cheese, like... That's you a party have, if I've ever yes, seen one. Yes, you did have birthday Ooh, parties. Strong argument. <laughs> that's, that's a good <laughs> argument. But then, I, then again, we're just cat. You know, that's such a broad net that we're throwing out there. Yeah. If that's the case. Uh, but no, I mean, I I think generally, yes, you you do need. There is that itch, as as you say, of trying to play games with various people, and we're so used to games being kind of a solitary experience. Um, that you can kind of forget that games were really meant to be one something for kids to be entertained and the like, and two something for everyone to just kind of share in this experience. And they're kind of a, a logical evolution of like Monopoly or Life or any of these other board games that you tend to see and which people used to use in order to entertain themselves and host a game night. Um, and I think games uh, video games actually try to get into that market i don't think that successfully to be perfectly honest except maybe late 90s early 2000s where there was just kind of a peak of the party game i still think people will play monopoly or whatever other variation of party games there are out there but i think they are they position themselves as an evolution of that form of game, which is also why I think it's more of a domestic setting. I mean, you're not going to play Monopoly at Chuck E. Cheese. Maybe you do. Maybe there are weird people that go to Chuck E. Cheese to play Monopoly. So maybe there are. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think they've always tried to reach that kind of goal of having a game that's accessible to everyone and that everyone can enjoy and partake in. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, just quickly moving through some of the early attempts, I think the earliest I can think of of like more than two players on a home console is probably the NES satellite. Uh, Paul, I would ask you if the Master System had any games that were more than two player that you can think of. Not that I'm aware of. Okay. No. Um, and I mean the NES, as far as I can tell, the satellite wasn't even like hugely supported. Um, no. Games like Super Off Road, Super Spike V Ball, Play Action Football, like. The classics we all remember playing for hours on end as children. Um, the problem with something like the satellite when we were kids is that we were kids. We couldn't just go out and buy it. It's kind of hard to convince your parents to go out and buy a peripheral, <laughs> especially when your choice is peripheral or game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if I'm going to the game store and I have a choice between Dracula's Curse and an NES satellite, come on. <laughs> And especially since games were so much more expensive at the time. Yeah. And so this really, buying a peripheral, you really needed to justify it. And if there are really not enough games to make that purchase worthwhile, then why even consider it, to be honest? Yeah. Uh, but there are some NES games. I mean, I know that uh, Technos did a lot of like multiplayer-oriented games and the like. Mm -hmm. And one of those, Paul, maybe you can talk about. Well, Super Spike V... Here's the thing about Super Spike V-Ball is that I played the crap out of it as a kid. Never four players, though. Yeah. Right? Because mm -hmm. nobody I knew had a satellite. We were just buying games. 
But with that said, if I had an opportunity to play Super Spike V-Ball today with four players, it'd be great. That game's aged really well. And uh, also notable for being the only game I successfully played with a power glove. That's... Oh. <laughs> I know, right? I thought that was impossible. <laughs> well, I just kind of like, you have this power glove. It looks so cool. And then there's the commercial with the guy playing Punch-Out!, and so I was pretty determined to make it work for at least one game. <laughs> and uh, it did, because, like, you kind of, I think, like, you curl your finger or something, and it creates a turbo. Oh. And turbo in Super Spike V-Ball is basically cheating. So, <laughs> yeah. So it was worth it at the time, because that was the only turbo controller that I had. Gotcha. So in order to cheat a Super Spike V-Ball, I would use it for the turbo but then curse at the horrible actual movement control. <laughs> well, if we want to dig a little bit further, though, uh, the NES also gave us Itadaki Street, which was many decades later translated as Fortune Street and localized as Fortune yeah. Street. Now, I have never played the NES version of Itadaki Street. It's actually made by Yuhi Hori, who is of Dragon Quest fame. And it actually uh, started as a minigame in in Dragon Quest, and then they just there there was demand to make this into a full blown game. Only the Japanese, but it was never it was never localized until two thousand eight, where yeah. Fortune Street came out on the Wii with a kind of crossover with Mario with, characters yep. and Dragon and Quest Dragon characters. characters. Uh, but I don't know much about Itadaki Street Fortune Street, so maybe Arnie, you can tell me a little bit more about what that game entails. To say that I know anything about Fortune Street would imply that I played it and understood it. I I sort of fumbled my way through like half a game of Fortune Street, and it really is, I mean, to break it down to its simplest level, it probably, I guess the most appropriate comparison would be Monopoly, but infinitely more like pedantically complicated soul crushing yes yes like stocks involved percentages are involved like keeping track of so many different things that i don't understand i guess the target audience was like young adults on the wii well i think that doesn't i think it may be if i think about it maybe it was training young adults to become professional salarymen so that should be a you know from what I saw, from the little I have seen of it, there are stocks involved, there are properties. It plays like a Monopoly game of some sort, but yeah. um, it almost feels like, you know, kind of like daily existence of a Japanese salary man yeah. or something like that. But yeah, didn't the Wii game have Mario characters? Yes. Um, so I think that was the big draw of it, is like, I think it was, it was a Nintendo game, but it had crossover with Dragon Quest characters. Yeah, and they're known for their crossovers. They crossed over with Final Fantasy also. Yeah, there's um, actually... I, I believe that just earlier this year, they released um, a game with like both Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy characters. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I don't have much experience with it. Um, Masa, do you have any experience with it? Um, no, no. Like, I have only... Because uh, the Wii game is actually like one of the like more collectible Wii games, at least in the US. Um, it's not a... Really? Yeah, it's not a easy game to find, and since it's such a niche title, um, yeah, it is like one of the, I don't know, I, like I haven't played the game, I know what it's roughly like, like I mean mm. I knew 
that it's basically a like monopoly. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't played myself. Um, maybe I would get a copy if I, you know, found a cheap one. But it usually, like, even in Europe, it usually goes for around like forty to fifty euros. Jesus, that's expensive. That's not what I have seen here. Here, you could probably get it for like twenty bucks. Yeah, I. That's been my experience at the very least. Masa, let me ask you something. Was there a culture in Finland for party games? Because I'm, I'm really curious about your experience with party games. Um, back in the NES days, uh, not so much. Um, cause like I, like I mentioned in our um, beat 'em up episode, uh, like in the Soviet Finland, like we didn't really have that many <laughs> arcades to begin with, so we never really had that culture here. At least it wasn't the same as in the US. Um, and in Soviet Finland, NES, you work. Yeah, <laughs> you don't party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and on on the NES, um, like yeah, you had the NES satellite. I never owned it. I never even knew anyone who, you know, owned that little thing. Yeah. So I like the games, like, for example, Super Off-Road. I played that game, but never with four players. And yeah. I would say in Finland, it was the, like, we will get to this later, but it was the N64 that really, like, made body games big. Absolutely. Well, maybe we can talk about that next generation of uh, party games. Yeah, so... That's I, whatever the satellite did or did not do. It certainly did not stop developers from thinking that there was a market for four-player games on systems. And when the when when the SNES came out, um, there were definitely a lot more games that supported multiplayer play. Uh, Super Bomberman is probably the one that most people would think of. Just because it came in the big box with the Hudson multi-tap, which is the de facto Super Nintendo multi-tap. Um, so let me take a step back. Did the original Bomberman for NES have a multiplayer option? I believe it had a two-player option, but I, as far as I could tell, it was not satellite-supported. Okay. But Paul would know. <laughs> well... No, I wouldn't. I was actually gonna... <laughs> I was gonna actually mention something else. When we're going back to 16-bit, truthfully, the multiplayer system was the TurboGrafx PC Engine. Because oh. it had one controller port, and in order to play two-player games, you had to buy the multi-tap, which, as a way to market your system, was a great way of shooting yourself in the foot. But <laughs> it meant that most people had, had multi-taps. Multi so when I was a kid, we played Battle Royale, which was the wrestling game, and we played that with multiple players Dungeon Explorer, which is the uh, gauntlet clones, so to speak, but more like RPG elements. And most importantly, Bomberman 93. Mm -hmm. Bomberman 93, as far as I know, was the first like truly multiplayer uh, Bomberman game, and you could play up to five players. And I remember playing that game. We we didn't really know anything about it. We just used to get TurboGrafx games back then used whenever we could, Bomberman 93 cost like 10 bucks or whatever and we brought it home and it was a revelation we'd never <laughs> played anything like it there were four of us playing and we put hours and hours and hours into that game coming up with uh, lingo for it with strategies and unbelievable well, I feel like Bomberman now has become, since the 90s, synonymous with party games. Uh, 100%. You know, maybe not like Mario Party, but with hardcore gamers, Bomberman is the party game to oh, go yeah. to. 
Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we can talk about the Saturn game later on, which it's the definitive version of a Bomberman party game. But um, this is why it's encouraging to see Konami kind of bringing back Bomberman, one of the very few properties that since they acquire Hudson, there's so many properties that are just sitting there dormant. But for the Switch, they actually brought out the new Bomberman, which was encouraging, even if it was probably a little bit overpriced. But yeah, I do feel like Bomberman is kind of synonymous nowadays with the party game. And uh, Bomberman 93, did it have four players? Five. Five? Yeah, the PC Engine multi-tap has up to five players. And if you... I think... Jeez, man. Like, any multiplayer game for the PC Engine was either two or five. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) three and four. I'm not really aware. I'm not saying that they're not out there. But, like... Battle Royale, for example, is a wrestling game, right? And you could play a tag team mode, but the game is called Battle Royale, yeah. right? So you could have five characters in there at once, and that's kind of how all the games were designed. You have this multi-tap up to five, so when we make our game, we're making it up to five people. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's the I think that's the intrinsic appeal of any sort of multi-tap or like controller port expander is like, when you see the number of controllers, it's like you can have up to this many plugins. You want to fill them immediately. You're like, yeah. I want this many. Yeah, and you, and you start thinking <laughs> about all the friends that you can bring over. Yeah, exactly. It's how how can I rig this up to like support like as many people as possible? So let's talk a little bit more about semantics. Would you consider sports games to be party games? So like the NHL games and the like. I mean, there are some that support certainly quite a few that support more than two players. Some that even support up to eight players which was always surprising to me. Um, but would you consider those games party games? If your party doesn't involve girls, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like, um, Well, okay, so this is like one of, the, one of those sad Super Nintendo stories from my past. But like, um, when you guys were playing, you know, Secret of Mana, Final Fantasy, whatever, um, Chrono Trigger, <laughs> I was playing NHL 94, 95, 96, 97, and those are sadly, like, easily my most played Super Nintendo games. Like, I played those over and over again, well, alone, but also with my friends. And even even today, well, well, not so much like the past couple of years, but like um, a few years ago, like... (sighs) The NHL, whatever was the latest game, was our ultimate party game because, okay, this is going to sound sad again, but like um, a bunch (laughs) of like single guys gathering around every fucking Friday, you know, having beers and playing NHL over and over and over again every fucking weekend. And we were, you know, sometimes we were playing uh, like on the same team, sometimes playing against each other. But yeah, that was the party game for us. Yeah, I think I think that sports games definitely qualify. Um, you know, a lot of the same feelings of joy and rage that I associate with <laughs> a lot of party games, I I feel when I play, you know, the show, when I play NBA Jam or, you know, NFL or, you know, NHL, any of these games like Did you and- just put MLB The Show and NBA Jam in the same sentence. Oh, yeah, just did. Oh, my God, dude. Hell you cannot yeah. compare those two. Yeah. NBA I'm not Jam comparing them. Like... I'm just saying that... That's they, like polar opposites. Really. They allow oh, you to have that same sense of, like, you know, just frenetic energy, like, you know, enjoyment of other people's company. 
Um, well, I think also they lend themselves, sports games lend themselves very well to a large number of players because you yeah. have large teams. Yep. So I, I think when I was growing up, one of the appeals to having a multi-tap was, okay, well, someone can be the right fielder, someone can be the pitcher, someone can be the batter. And they're like, and yes, I am bringing up baseball, Paul. <laughs> um, so that, that really called out to me. So I think that makes them very accessible to a large group of players yeah. well, if they're interested in that sport and they're males and not <laughs> and this is and this is sort of tangential but there is something to be said about especially in the in the like licensed sports game world i'm much more invested in a sports team that i like and i follow than I am in playing as waluigi in like mario party i agree you know what i mean like <laughs> <laughs> you 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 would rather play as Michael Jordan than Waluigi. Absolutely, that's totally true. So, what uh what other games from the 16-bit era that you guys recall that you remember as being what we would call a party game? I think Bomberman is the standout for me. Um, while not a party game, I would want to shout out Secret of Mana. Yeah, because the idea of a let alone two people, but three people sitting around and playing a full-fledged action RPG. I mean, to this day, I still think that's super interesting. And, like, I'd like to see that again. But back in the Super Nintendo age, that would have blown my fucking mind. Yeah. Yeah, same here. And I'm, like, really, like... I have always liked co-op games since the NES mm-hmm. days. And nowadays, um, I love RPGs, but... There's, I mean, of course, there's tales of series, but even yeah. in that one, like, only the battles are, like, multiplayer. So we, I don't think we have anything like Secret of Mana. Yeah. Masa, t- tell me, tell me about the the Nintendo sixty four era for you because I think we can move on because this is kind of the peak. This is going to be the it. party game. This is really what the gist of our attention <laughs> will be on. Um, so it seems like Finland also had this peak. So tell us a little bit more about it. Um, okay, so the PS one, what a like that was. I would say that was the console of that era. But um, at least in Finland. Like, N64 was still huge, and a lot of my friends had the console, and of course, um, we would play all these, like, really classic, like, multiplayer games, like Diddy Kong Racing, Perfect Dark, uh, Mario Kart 64, uh, of course, the Mario Party games as well, but the game was, of course, GoldenEye. Of course. And, (laughs) okay, so this is... Once again, one of those like old memories, which is either you will either find this like really cool or really sad. But there was this <laughs> one one summer. It was me and you know three or four um, friends of mine, and we were like you know around fourteen, fifteen, and none of us had summer jobs. So what we would do, like we would play GoldenEye every single day that summer, like from morning until like evening and that was the entire summer nothing but golden eye you have my seal of approval 
Dude, you know how many of our 10 listeners are nodding along with you right now? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I do feel, I mean, maybe you want to take this on, but the Nintendo 64 was really the console, I think, by virtue of the fact that it had four ports. Oh, yeah, out the that, box. That, that really made such a massive difference. And there's also another element of it. It was not only the four ports, but also the fact that the games were so much more expensive. And so the games that you had, you needed to kind of justify the purchase. Mm-hmm. And so usually people had more than one controller. And it kind of became the playground kind of system where the kids, after being out in the streets and the like, after coming home from school, and they would settle down into the garage, they would start playing the Nintendo 64. At least that was my memory. I came to this country around that era, and that was kind of what the kids did. They, mm-hmm. The Nintendo 64 was kind of the system where everyone just got together and played, whereas the PlayStation 1 was kind of the, the system for single-player, different, massive experiences. Um, but the Nintendo 64 has endured because of that um, multiplayer focus, really, and I would say it's it's the definitive multiplayer system. Absolutely. What did you say, uh, Absolutely. It's like they took Paul's advice, and instead of doing one controller port like the Turbo Graphics. <laughs> They took that multi-tab and just crammed it in there and were like, here you go. And by the way, can we just say how awesome it is that you don't need ports anymore in systems? Yeah. Can we just admit that that's a great, great <laughs> advance in technology? But yeah, I mean, I, 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 you would be surprised to not find a Nintendo 64 in a dorm or okay. a frat house in the United States. Um, for a brief time, um, when I was studying for the bar... Um, there, I had to live in this house because my lease ran out and it was with a bunch of undergrad students Mm. and dude, every night, the focus of it, and this was very recent, it was the Nintendo 64. They may not know anything about video games. They may not care about video games. They may have labs and not have played an actual video game to completion for over two decades, yeah. but they're still going to play the shit out of Smash Brothers. Well, they're that's... still going to play the shit out of Mario Kart. Yeah. And that's another thing. The Nintendo 64, great system for both genders. Everyone, female, male, loves the Nintendo 64. Yeah, they can play it. Uh, I know just as many women that play Mario Kart as I know men that play Mario Kart. It's a system, it's an egalitarian system in many ways. I, uh, so I dated this girl a long time ago, and she had Mario Kart 64, right? I didn't actually own Mario Kart 64. I just put it at my friends' houses, so yeah. I wasn't really, you know, good at it or you whatever. You destroyed her. But no, let me tell you. <laughs> I don't want to give away the, uh, the ending, but yes, that is part of it. But it's actually even worse than that. <laughs> like, we had just started dating, and I, she was something to do. Like, I didn't really like her that much. And so I went over to her place, and we were playing Mario Kart and she fucking ruined me. <laughs> and not only did she ruin me, she was doing it by like taking these shortcuts that I wasn't uh, aware of. And I was getting like, I was getting kind of chafed, right? <laughs> I was, you know, I was young and competitive and this girl's taking these shortcuts. And so I started kind of getting a little mouthy and I'm like, hey, why don't you beat me with those, those shortcuts? You need those shortcuts to win. I wouldn't shut up about the goddamn shortcuts, right? <laughs> and... uh yeah, we didn't talk again. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But yeah, that that reminds me of like when I was in Japan in 2007. Um, for a few months I was studying there, and uh, yeah, it was like one of those like at the dorm they had N64. Um, even and this was 2007, so a few years after um the console had like died, and they they had called an eye, and I was like, oh shit, called an eye, let's let's play it, and I absolutely. Then you realized that was a terrible idea. Yeah, I mean, no, no, <laughs> it was like I absolutely like slaughtered these dudes because. Uh, I kinda, kinda, <laughs> kinda used the same tactic as um, Paul's ex-girlfriend. Like I knew where everybody, like where people would spawn. I knew where to get the body armor. So I would just, you know, like whenever I got a few hits, I would, you know, go pick up the body armor, and then I would just go straight to like where people would spawn and just, you know, kill them right away. And <laughs> and, uh, and I'm guy. quite sure that after that, the, none of these people ever played Goldeneye again. <laughs> Well, now that you mentioned that, Masa, it reminds me that GoldenEye is the first quote-unquote party game that I remember seeing in Cuba. And it was actually a revelation in Cuba, which is not normal because there weren't that many 64s in Cuba. And the GoldenEye, it was like in everyone's mouth. Every kid wanted to play that game. And it was just everyone huddled around the, the kid that had it and everyone would go to that house, even if they didn't know the kid. It was like... Look, dude, I'm showing up at your place, and we're holding a competition, and you're gonna take it. So, <laughs> um, so that's the actual. Uh, now that I remember, it just it jogged my memory that Goldeneye was the first game I remember kind of seeing in Cuba, where people yeah. had four players around the table just kind of going at it. So yeah. this is how you know that the Nintendo 64 is like probably one of the definitive party systems ever. Is like you ask people like. What Nintendo 64 games do you remember playing? And within the first two to three games, they're going to say GoldenEye, Perfect Dark, Mario Kart. Like, a game that's four-player that they remember playing with their friends. Yeah, and also, uh, shout-out to the fact that there are almost no surviving controller joysticks for the Nintendo <laughs> oh, 64. No. <laughs> because of this era, all Thank of them are Party. just... Yes, Mario Party. Uh, so maybe this is a good time to bring up Mario Party. You guys want to talk Is about ever it? a good time to Yeah, the play? good old tug of war. Oh my god, like th- that that's the mini game that killed both your hands and your controllers. Yeah. Like I mean, I had so many blisters and so many broken controllers from like that mini game alone. Yeah. That was that that was the mini game I believe that people complained about and Nintendo would let you mail out for a N64 glove. That they would send you so you could play it without blistering your hands. Yeah, to prevent the uh, stigmata. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, at Mario Party, I mean, it's kind of a variation of, I wouldn't even say Monopoly, but it's kind of a board game. Yeah. And it adapts that board game and then throws like a hundred mini games into it. And uh, they are now up, we're now up to ten, right, Masa? Maybe. Yeah, there's um, ten. Um, yeah, there's ten like home console games and a few portable games. Yep. Yeah, and so you kind of roll the dice. There are four players. Roll the dice, and after all the players go through their turn, um, there's a mini game. And I think the purpose of it is to get as many stars as possible, at least in yes. most games. Um, and the mini games vary wildly. Some of them are one on three. Some of them are two on two. Some of them are free for all. And in the interest of full disclosure, last night in research for this episode, <laughs> we played Mario Party Four. And again, you're gonna have to call me Lucky Ozzy because I was the luckiest out of all of them. Um, I wasn't. I did. If, if the goal is finishing last, then yeah, yeah you're super lucky. 
But they're they're very interesting games. Um, I think that they lend themselves well to a party because they kind of follow the same format as a board game. Yeah. And so it's intuitive for people and just kind of figuring out each um, mini game and what it is that you have to really do in them. It kind of presents a challenge into itself. And there's always a one player that just gets screwed, and there's yep. always that one player that gets very lucky. I mean, and there's always a CPU player if you're unfortunately playing with a CPU yeah. player, Donkey Kong, um, that <laughs> just you know it's cheap, and you <laughs> think it's impossible for for the CPU to be that cheap. Yep. No, the Mario Party AI is like devious. Like, it acts stupid and somehow still wins. It's incredible. Like, has the perfect strategy. It's like playing against Forrest Gump. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there isn't a sweet spot because, as you said, uh, Artie, if you put it on easy, then they're just going to be completely drooling. Um, But if you put it on medium, okay, maybe they will take some decisions that you wouldn't have taken. But for the most part, they would just be like ringers and they would just be doing everything they're supposed to be doing. And when you have three human players that are trying to figure out what the heck they're doing (laughs) um, and a a CPU player that already knows, um, that presents an inherent disadvantage. And also the fact if you play with bonus stars, then, you know, even if they didn't do well, they're still going to come out of Bonus stars, in my mind, just negate the whole point of everything that preceded it. Especially when you play a shorter game, because people don't get as many stars. Yeah. Um, but I will say that Mario Party really made me understand what schadenfreude is. <laughs> Joy at other people's misery is is the core essence, I think. Just of say Mario it, my Party. misery, my misery. <laughs> Dude, after one hour, Ozzy's face... I've never seen such bitterness. <laughs> <laughs> it was despair. It was just abject despair. Oh my god! It was I don't great. know how a party game made me so depressed. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible. But uh, hot take here. Hot take. Um, <laughs> Mario Party games are not good games. It's just good that you get to play them with a lot of people. And I think the fact that all the clone games like Crash Bash, Sonic Shuffle, Rayman Arena. They're not good games. I think kind of shows that the biggest reason why Mario Party endures is because one, it's Mario, and two, because you're playing with people and there's so much variation. And just by virtue of that, you have so much that can happen in a given game that just presents a lot of opportunity for enjoyment. But Paul, you were saying last night, a lot of Mario Party is just putting your controller down and waiting for everyone else to do their thing. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of like just putting my controller down and waiting, which is okay because again, we're hanging out with other people, right? If this was like me at home putting my controller down and waiting, well, even that's not bad because that's Persona 5. Yeah. <laughs> or Metal so, Gear Solid. Yeah, I mean, they're, uh, but that's, that's apples and oranges, right? <laughs> the bottom line is, I agree with you, Mario Party, not such a great game. And we're probably going to play it again right after this. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> certainly, yeah. certainly. But you know what's, what's the beautiful <laughs> thing about like Mario Party? Like, of course, it has these mini games that are skill based. Like, you can, you know, if you know how they work, you know, you can easily beat like the your newbie friends. But then there's the element of luck, like in many board games. And I think that's like we have been playing Mario Party then um, a little bit, and um, it's like. Like, for example, like, I'm good at some minigames, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to win um, every time. 
because there's yeah. the element of luck involved. And I think that makes the game fun for everybody except for Ozzy, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but well, and and here's the thing: like nobody's gonna play a Mario Party game for dozens and dozens of hours. It's been yeah. like nowadays, like since there's still no online play. Like you are, you might play like every once in a while, but you are never, you know, gonna get like really good at these mini games, anyways. But and then there's still like the whole element of luck involved. Well, let me tell you. I mean, with the Switch, this is Nintendo's perfect opportunity to bring back a great Mario Party game. Yeah, and that's because what we, I we, yeah. Like um, yeah, sorry for interrupting, but like that's what I wanted to say. Like, uh, for the longest time, like we mentioned that nowadays people, when it comes to party games, it's something that you do at someone's, you know, home or their house. Uh, but the Switch has the potential to change that. Like now with the Switch, like 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 us for example, my name's Arnie, who still doesn't have a Switch, but we could go to a nearby <laughs> bar and you know play a party game on the Switch together. Like we wouldn't have to be, you know, at like Aussie's place, for example. Yeah, I, I, I can I can give you my example. I was down in, in Miami where my family is and uh, I had my Switch with me because now I carry my Switch everywhere. And my brother's wife saw the Switch and she was like, oh, you have a Switch. And I said, yes, and I have Overcooked. And oh my God, she just like dropped everything and it's like, let's play Overcooked right now. And the fact that we could play Overcooked without setting anything up in a TV screen or the like, I mean, it really unlocks the potential of gaming and it really could unlock the potential for party games. So the only thing you need for a great party is to bring your Switch, yeah. which is probably the best Nintendo advertisement that we've ever done. I mean, they, by they, yeah, exactly. they tried to tell us in those commercials where like these hipsters brought their like Switch to the rooftop party or Couldn't whatever. Couldn't stop laughing. And I was like, <laughs> this is such bullshit. And now it's like, <laughs> but now it's the reality. Like this is the world we live in now. If you guys didn't realize, we're Switch true believers. We're like, and Arnie just needs to step into the light. We're like, one day you'll just be sitting at like somebody's party and somebody will bring out a Switch and be like, hey, here we go. It's, Playtime. I know. And then I'll be like one of those good looking people on the commercial. <laughs> 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 I mean, the Nintendo 64 overshadows it so much because it was such a great party oh, yeah. console, but there were other great games on other systems. Mm -hmm. So, as we mentioned, Bomberman on the Saturn, do you guys have any experience with that? Because it's supposed to be the definitive version of well, Bomberman. This is, this is Paul's oh, this yeah, is his time to shine right here. I played Bomberman on the Saturn, what, 20 years ago? Mm -hmm. And I played it again last week. And it was six players then, and it's six players now. And I actually played the 10-player uh, local Saturn Bomberman mm -hmm. twice. You know, it takes some work, but it's worth it. It's worth it if for no other reason than you can just say, hey, I played 10-player Saturn Bomberman, <laughs> right? You don't even know who you're shit-talking anymore when you have 10 people. It's like, just kill someone and it's like, yeah, but I just it, killed you. I don't know who you are. It's a feat unto itself to bring 10 players together. Oh, yeah. So it just makes you feel so gratified and fulfilled. It's yeah. like... I have 10 friends. That's, that's, <laughs> that's half the fun. Like, honestly, the game could be terrible. And just bringing 10 people together to play a terrible game would still be fun. But 
it's not terrible. It's yeah. Bomberman. And uh, yeah, we still go back to Saturn Bomberman. That's the definitive version. And I know the N64 is kind of like the de facto party machine of that era. But the fact that the Saturn had a six-player multi-tap, there were some games for it that were just... We poured hours and hours and hours. Such as? Guardian Heroes. Yes. Yeah, because Guardian Heroes has the six-player versus mode. And we we had everything set up for it. Like, we had systems that ranked characters. We had moves that were banned. It was really deep. And sometimes we played three versus three. Sometimes we played three teams of two or six-player free-for-all. You know, the sky was the limit. There was so much variation Guardian Heroes also tracked statistics, so it would save on the Saturn's uh, hard drive, and like you know, you load up your profile, and man, it was so. Dude, good. Is there a more bizarre game that just completely breaks any definitions that you try to try to throw at it? It defies genre. It just completely crosses every tip, yeah. every genre you could think of. You could think of it as a beat 'em up. You could think of it as an action adventure. You could think of it as a party game. You could think of it as a brawler. Yeah. It, it it's such a, an innovative game that it's so sad that we haven't seen a game like that. Um, maybe Koto Princess, but come on. Um, it's yeah. it's really unfortunate that there isn't something that's quite reached the heights of yeah. Guardian Heroes. Saturn, which I, is I will say. Oh, uh, go ahead, Paul. No, I was gonna say which is which is okay. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> I was gonna say it's okay because we still have Guardian no! Heroes. No, but <laughs> you need no. to find a Saturn. You need to yeah. find a multi tap and for to yeah. draw in new. Listen, players. I didn't see a Saturn in the flesh until like maybe three years ago. Yeah. That's how uncommon they really are. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's the I same in Europe. Saturn Bomberman is the height of hubris. Like somebody was like, "We have a six player multi tap, but." What if we plugged in a second multi-tap? <laughs> and like that person worked at, on Saturn Bomb. Can we say that, yeah. that was an early, like, yeah. that was an early LAN party? Oh, basically. Yeah. That was... Oh yeah, basically. <laughs> and between Guardian Heroes and Bomberman, there was another game we played more than both of those combined, which I also played last week. And this is I've mentioned this to you guys before, mm-hmm. but a lot of our listeners probably won't know about this game. It's a hidden game inside the Sega Saturn version of Duke Nukem 3D called Death Tank. Actually, Power Slave. Both. Both? Yeah. Yes. Um, I said Duke Nukem... Okay, so let's rewind a little bit. <laughs> Originally, it was in Power Slave, mm. and it was Death Tank, and then they had Death Tank Sway in Duke Nukem 3D. <laughs> and those games are incredible. Like, I just played it last week, and we were shouting at the screen and yelling at each other. And it, like it's not even an exaggeration. And what do you do? What's the point? If you've played media? Scorched Earth, it's very similar to that. Uh, the best way I can describe it without putting people to sleep is to call it a real-time Worms. So in Worms, you have time to set up your shot. You have to you know, pick up your weapon and so on and so forth. In Death Tank, it all happens in real time. Okay. The graphics are horrible. <laughs> like you your tank is like a little square and that's part of the charm Dude, it's probably a game that they put together in like a weeknight where they were really drunk well, and that's... they were like freak it you know let's just put it in there i read an interview with the creator i can't remember his name unfortunately but i mean anybody can look it up if they want and that was basically it like they were working on ports of fps games for the sega saturn so these guys weren't 
you know, they weren't creating anything new. They were just coders, right? And so, yeah, they worked on Death Tank and threw it in. And lo and behold, you have what, in my opinion, is the best multiplayer game ever. But, you know, there are certain intangibles there, too, that part of the fun of Death Tank, I hate to say it because it sounds kind of hipster, is that it feels like you're in a secret club and you know about Death <laughs> Tank, right? That, that's part of the appeal. Well, it actually came out on Xbox Live. Um, it did. So there was some update to Death Tank, um, but nothing quite as... Well, the problem with the Xbox Live version, which makes no sense whatsoever, is that it was maximum four players. And Death Tank's way on the Saturn was maximum seven. And we routinely had seven players playing that game. So I must imagine it must have been chaotic with seven players. Yeah. Oh, it was great. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I can't describe it any better than that. And <laughs> well, you, you if sold, you guys you allow me, I me. won't shut up about it. So let's move on. <laughs> well, should we go pick up a multi-cap? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the only other big game that we really need to hit on as far as sort of big party games i would say it's twisted metal it's like the ps1 yeah sort of it's well, a genre unto itself i think is what it what yeah it the vehicular combat genre really proliferated in this era with twisted metal and um there was another one called broke trip and a vigilante 8 and the like which was also on the nintendo 64 i can also say that this was the era of force four player split screen yeah um, and screen hacking was a thing back in the day um, that wasn't the case with Twisted Metal, but at least it was for games like Goldeneye. Oh, yeah. I never took to vehicular combat games. I always found them fairly boring, but I know that there are a bunch of people that absolutely yeah. love them. And Twisted Metal 2 being the Halcyon and yes. idyllic representation of the vehicular combat game. And also, shout out, Gauntlet Legends yep. on the PS1 and the Dreamcast. Fantastic game to play with a couple of friends. Um, someone plays the dwarf. Someone plays the mage. Um, it's just I, I I put in so many hours into that game that I really think that it's one of the perennial great party games. Bringing it full circle. Yeah. Gauntlet Arcade all the way to Gauntlet Home. And and it's funny because after the Nintendo sixty four with the four ports, uh, controller ports, we went on to the thirty two bit era, and the thirty two bit era, all consoles except for the PlayStation two had four ports. So you had the Xbox, you had the GameCube, and you had the Dreamcast. The Dreamcast had great, great party games, namely Power Stone. Yep. So maybe you guys can tell me a little bit more about your experience with Power Stone, because I think that's one of the greatest party games of all time. Uh, I'll go first, as I have zero experience with Power Stone. <laughs> so that's my contribution. <laughs> <laughs> Well, also, why don't, have you played Power Stone? Um, yeah, I, I actually own the Dreamcast version, uh, which I have played a few times. Um, but then, like, actually, the version that I've played more is the arcade version, which is really surprising since I've been talking about like not really, you know, going to the arcades back in the day. But there's actually <laughs> a arcade um, in my hometown, and they have Power Stone, and you know, I've been been to that place a few times and yeah that's that's like one of our go-to games and it's definitely like one of the most unique um fighting games that i've ever played yeah i've never i, I didn't even realize there was an arcade version of power stone me neither that sounds yeah, amazing I realize that. well, you that, know, that's, it's, that's it's... amazing like there's an arcade game that i have played but you guys haven't like what is this <laughs> <laughs> well probably is this like the opposite day or something stone? yeah exactly well, the only thing about Power Stone 
is that I actually played it before it came out stateside. And Paul, you're such a hipster today. What the hell's going <laughs> I don't on? Know what's is that being in here? New York? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's rubbing off on me along with the smell of tea. <laughs> Um, no, I played it at a, at an anime convention. There was a video game tournament and I made it to the finals and that's where they kind of unveiled in the wizard Super Mario 3 <laughs> fashion, this game that nobody had played Power Stone on the Dreamcast. And, uh, I won and I was king of the nerds. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the Dreamcast also, we should mention was kind of the advent of online party games basically and yeah. Shushu Rocket and all the Unreal games and the like Quake and the like which were the large scale um you know FPSs and the like. Um and I would argue it's also where we can see the decline of the traditional party games because the Dreamcast is really the console that introduced online gaming. Um it wasn't until the Xbox that there was really a popularization of online gaming. But the Dreamcast certainly, I mean, they kind of set yeah. the scene with Fantasy Star, with the NFL games um, and the like. And I think that's really what we start seeing, a kind of downshift in uh, the traditional party games. It was a very short-lived peak in, in yeah. a way. Um, yeah, this is, a, I mean, for for how much we praise the N64 and like its focus on, you know, four players, split screen, like party games... Party games were never, at least in my opinion, never like a major sort of genre unto themselves. Yeah, it's not something that you really crave to yeah. play on your own or anything. I mean, it sucks to play a party game. It's on a your nice own. option to have. What a I depressing think... thing. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> you mean, imagine I... you have like four different controllers and you like switch yeah. controllers every single. Oh, man, <laughs> that would be extremely depressing. Yeah, uh, I mean, to I mean, when you really look back on this list. With the exception of Mario Kart and Smash, you know, a lot of these games aren't really relevant anymore. They're not doing a whole lot. Force player fl- split screen is no longer really a thing. Um, well, let's talk about Smash. I think we should really talk about Smash because it, it was Mario Party. That was the perennial party game. And then Super Smash Brothers came along. And okay. I don't think Nintendo really realized how much that game would blow up. And to no. this day, I mean, it's it's like I say, it's accessible. And if you are a hardcore gamer, you can really learn the ins and outs of Super Smash Brothers. But every person can play it. Yeah. And it, it's not as technical as a Soul Calibur or, or as a Versa Fighter yeah. or the like. It's pretty close. Yeah, I mean, you could make it there. You, you yeah. could get it there. Um, but it's a game that anyone can just pick up and play. And with recognizable characters being yeah. on each yeah. other. Um, which always reminds me of the commercial oh, that yeah. came out back in 1999 where, where Pikachu and Mario start beating the crap out of each yeah. other. That's one of the perennial great commercials. Yeah, if if Bomberman, if Saturn Bomberman is the height of hubris, then <laughs> Smash Brothers is the height of wish fulfillment. Like, you know, Mario, Donkey Kong, Yoshi, Star Fox, all these amazing characters, and now it's like you can play as all of them and like beat the crap out of them. And eventually, the Solid ones. Snake, yeah, so that the adults can join in too. Exactly. <laughs> and now Bayonetta, yeah, and Pac Man. Like they've gone, they've gone above and beyond to get all these crazy licenses. Um, do you do you guys have any like particular Smash Brothers stories? 
actually don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. First of all, like I have never actually played the N64 Smash Bros. Um, oh, I know disconnect. this sounds really weird coming from <laughs> from the Nintendo dude here, uh, but Melee, I played the shit out of that game, but yeah. it was still. I don't know. I think that was the time when a lot of my friends kind of like fell out of love um, with gaming. So yeah. for me, it was more like me just playing alone and then, you know, yeah. maybe having some friends come over every once in a while. So I never really got good at that game. Um, I actually ended up skipping um, Brawl, but okay. the Wii U game, yeah, that's definitely, that has been one of our, um, like in my group of, um, like in my circle of friends, that's, that has been like one of the, like the biggest like party game hits. Especially like, it's amazing playing that game, but it's both amazing and extremely chaotic playing that game with like eight players. It's just yeah. absolutely insane. Like you have no idea what's going on, but it's still fun. And that's like, I mean, I mentioned, I have mentioned this before, but like the beauty of these, a lot of these Nintendo games is that, um, like for example, Smash Bros. Like, yeah, you can play it as a party game, but then you, you can also play it as a like a really really high level like a professional game. fighting game. Yeah, like it's it's absolutely. always like one of the top Evo games, for example. And yeah. when you compare, like. Like, okay, so let's see, like, when I play Street Fighter and then I watch, um, like, EVO matches, I'm like, okay, so that's, that's the same game that I'm playing, but when I'm playing, playing Smash Bros, and then I'm watching people, like, actual professionals play the game, it's, like, two different games, like, they are pulling out moves that I can't even do, and it's, yeah, yeah it looks, it's, it looks so much different. But that's, yeah. that's great. What's great about this Nintendo, especially, like, games like, um, Splatoon and Smash Bros, like, uh, like they are both like very casual experiences, but then also you can turn them into like really high level games. Yeah, that's, that's the secret that's, sauce, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's easy yeah. to pick up and play, difficult to master, and a lot of depth. Yeah, absolutely. that's a good place to sort of wrap up this conversation on party games. I think Smash is probably the party game that most people sort of gravitate to now, especially if you have any sort of Nintendo console. Yeah, because um, Mario Party is kind of a non-entity now. Yeah, Mario, Mario Party, Party came on and went like, not around. you know, without any type of noise. Yeah, yeah. If, um, I mean, if you think about it, like, if they now announced Mario Party 11 for the Switch, there would be like a few people who would be like, yay, but like mm. the hype surrounding like the new Smash Bros game for the Switch, it's insane. Like yeah. all this, you know, like Twitter, Instagram, like message sports, but there's like, like it's it's insane. Like all these people are speculating who's gonna join and what the gameplay will be like, and yeah, like the hype surrounding that game is massive. And I mean, that probably is the biggest uh, fighting game franchise nowadays. But I do, I do, I do think that the party game is making a resurgence, and not in the traditional way that we think about it. I think that it's coming back in the way of local, four-player mm. co-op or competitive gaming. So, Overcooked is one of the more recent successes, um, and that one has just really done gangbusters. 
it's basically come out on every system under the sun. Mm. Um, and as you said, Smash Brothers, Mario Kart is still freaking massive. Mario yeah. Kart is still a, any new Mario Kart. I mean, the fact that they could release Mario Kart on the Wii U and it was a hit, and then they released the same game on the Switch and it was an even greater hit. Um, that shows you the power of Mario Kart. Anyone will always be down for some good old Mario Karting. Um, and again, it, they're games that became ingrained onto the mentality of gamers at a time where they were very susceptible and it, it was just formative to their character and their personalities and their experiences. Yeah. So if there's someone that has a Mario Kart or a Mario, you know, Super Smash Brothers, they're going to want to rekindle that experience. They're yeah. going to want to go back to those times where they spent a whole summer playing GoldenEye every single day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I mean, you know, especially during this time, I feel like there was also a, a surge in not necessarily party games, but FPSs really became, like, the standard bear for, like, your come over with your friends, like, sit down and play a game together. I, I vividly remember having to drag not only a CRT television, but a second Xbox to my friend's house to link play <laughs> like link them together to play four player Halo on two on two televisions. Oh, yeah. You could play it was worth all It was amazing. Oh yeah. And it was everyone it was, was worth, in the same It was room. worth the muscles I pulled in my back as a 14-year-old <laughs> kid. But yeah, I mean all, online gaming kind of killed local co-op and yep. it's really really unfortunate because it killed the, the the local party game. And so that's why you still see the Nintendo 64 kind of being the the, the, the classical um, party console. Yeah. But I, I am really hoping that the Switch is kind of the next step in bringing back local co-op. I really do think so. And yeah. I, I think the Switch is the future. I, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Yeah. So <laughs> hopefully... But actually, we haven't touched upon something. Guys, what are your thoughts on one to switch Massa. Oh, Lord. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> Tell us how I, much you love it. Yeah, like I own hundreds of games. And I even own a lot of games that I bought, you know, for the full, for the full price, day one, you know, paid like 60 euros for them and i have like i i don't really regret buying any games but there's one game in my collection that i really really reg regret buying and that's one two switch and i paid fucking 50 euros for it played it for <laughs> i don't know i played it like two or three times with a group of friends we all hated that game and i was like yeah did i really just spend 50 euros on this I mean, who would have thought that a game including milking cows and listening to see how many ice cubes are in your controller would not be fun? <laughs> Sweet HD rumble, man. HD rumble. Yeah, like, and even that, like, okay, so yeah, the HD rumble thing is really cool, actually. That's but then the novelty wears off, like, after five minutes, and then it's like, I never want to play this again. <laughs> Just you wait until the Switch 2.0 where they have 4K rumble. You imagine they come out with a brand new 1 2 Switch, Hell and yeah. you're like, why did this happened nobody asked for this well yeah, i mean there's a, there's a huge difference between like uh the wii launch with uh with the with wii spots and like let's say you can take bowling and that's like hours and hours of multiplayer fun yeah. but like yeah, i mean one two switch is like maybe an hour of multiplayer fun fun for you know 50 euros yeah yeah wii sports was definitely like if there was like a best tech demo slash packing game ever it'd probably be no question yeah exactly look best party game ever it's senior home approved if <laughs> if your nanny can play this you know and have fun while she's at it then that makes it the best party game oh, of all yeah. time we had a we at work at one of my old jobs 
And, you know, it was like an office job. And my buddy and I, we'd take like five, ten minutes. So I'd kind of like look over into his cubicle and we'd nod and then run and get a quick game of Wii Tennis in. Oh, yeah. And then head back to our desk. There have been few things that have induced like a competitive fire in me like Wii Tennis. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've never... Uh, I shouldn't say I've never... The amount of shit-talking that went into Wii Tennis oh, yeah. versus what was kind of deserved for a tennis game, <laughs> very out of proportion. Yeah. Yeah. But I think this segues somewhat interestingly since we're talking about, you know, sort of how the party game has evolved. It's pretty clear that a lot of modern games have sort of done away with the local multiplayer. Local multiplayer doesn't seem to be a focus really now that now that there's such easy access to online gaming. Yeah. But I wanted to to just throw the general question out to you guys. Do you think that there is a place for local uh, multiplayer still? Do you think that that it should come back? I think so. I I and you're seeing it now with virtual reality gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are actual like party games. Uh, stop! Don't stop talking and nobody explodes. That's one of them. Um, the Playroom VR, where all the four players participate. So, yeah, I do think that there is a place for local party games. Paul? Yeah, 100%. In my home, there will always be a place for multiplayer gaming. Look, playing online with a bunch of 10-year-olds, <laughs> I know that's like, you know, the stereotypical thing and it doesn't always happen, but it does. And I don't want to play with them. But listen to our podcast and subscribe, all you 10 <laughs> You guys are always welcome here. All right, Masa, what's your take? Absolutely. And I think it's a shame that nowadays, um, especially like, okay, so Nintendo is an exception because they have always been about more about um, the local experiences compared to like multiplayer. Uh, but yeah, it's a definitely a um, sad trend that, for example, uh, just recently I got this um, game on the PS4 called Armello. And okay. it's a digital role-playing strategy board game. Yeah, I mean, it's a board game. Um, and it has multiplayer, but it's only online. And I'm like, why? Like, that makes no freaking sense that there's <laughs> ah. no local um, yeah. multiplayer. Especially since it's a, it's not even like, I understand if you have a game like, like let's say Call of Duty or something like that, that it's might just be like online only, but I mean, it's a board game. It should have local, you know, multiplayer. Yeah. I think it's one of those situations where we didn't realize what we lost until it was gone. Yeah. Cause like you have the N64 and you have the local party games and that's great. That's like the height of fun for gaming. Then the advent of online game coming comes on and it's way more convenient. Everybody's super excited about it and they're not quite thinking about what we've lost, Mm -hmm. which is the human interaction. And hopefully we'll see a swing back towards that, you know, people realizing, hey, maybe I do want to shit talk Ozzy in person instead (laughs) of online and see the bitterness in his eyes. For me, I agree with all of you. Like, I definitely do think it should come back. I think it's one of the best aspects of gaming. But 90% of it for me is like, I want to look you in the eye yeah. as I talk copious amounts of shit to you. Yeah. And I want to not look you in the eye as I take it. Yeah, exactly. And I want to choose to ignore you <laughs> as you, like, destroy me. <laughs> 
Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's the, the part of it that I miss the most. Um, so I wanted to wrap up rapid fire. Like we usually do favorite, uh, party game of all time. I'm going to throw it to Paul first. For me, it's almost like one and one a, right? <laughs> the most amount of time that I've spent with party games was guardian heroes and death tank. We played way more death tank and gosh, my favorite's Guardian Heroes, even though we still play way more Death Tank. It's got the treasure <laughs> charm, right? Sorry. All right. Uh, Ozzy. Crash Bash. Crash Bash. Crash Bash. No oh, explanation. Uh, I know you said Rapid Fire, but like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> no explanation. I was just a big fan of Crash back in the day. So just from a purely nostalgic standpoint. And I didn't have a Nintendo 64 until many, many years later. Uh, so you know what? I had to do with Crash Bash. Yeah. It's Crash Bash, and I've never played it. Is it like a Mario Party style yeah, game? Like a Mario Party yeah. style game. Yeah. That was actually good. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Define good. <laughs> all right, Masa. Golden Eye, all day, every day. Oh, jeez, what a not! I should have seen that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I guess that leaves me, and I would have to say, uh, like the typical party game, it probably would be Golden Eye. Um, with Halo, the original Halo being like the one A to that, mm. uh, so I think that about wraps it up. I think we had a pretty decent discussion about this. Maybe we'll. There's still so many freaking party games we just did not have Please. time to talk about. We like this is like tip of the iceberg. I know, um, but maybe we'll come back to it at some point. Maybe. Uh, so let's quickly go around and just uh, let people know where they can find us, Masa. Okay, so yeah, you can find me on Instagram, and my um, Instagram handle is masacharvinen09. It's it's a bit like, okay, so here's the thing, like my last name is actually pronounced Jarvinen, but I guess Jarvinen makes it a little bit easier for our <laughs> listeners to find me. <laughs> <laughs> I never would have guessed, actually, yeah. I would have said Jarvinen. <laughs> okay, right. so... Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. So yeah, Paul... <laughs> uh, you can find me on instagram paul's game room paul's underscore game room all right you can find me ozzy uh at shadow of the collector with periods in between all of those words uh you can find me on instagram welcome to the game it's the word welcome the number two the game uh please write us a review wherever you're listening to this. Uh, you know, even leave us a comment on our Instagrams. We also have a region free gamers Instagram, uh, that you can comment on, ask us questions, interact with us. We love all that stuff. Tell your friends, tell your family. And just remember guys, there ain't no party like a Mario party. Cause the Mario party does not stop until <laughs> Donkey Kong whoops your ass. Thank you guys. Have a good one.